For both of my boys, around the time that they were four years old, they started asking lots of questions about death. For Justice, the reason for this was because he had just experienced um, the death of the first person that, that he knew that he was close to. Um, that was when our, our friend and coworker Calvin Nolan passed away. And so Justice would come up to, to Vince and I and just kind of out of the blue would ask, um, not even with a, a lot of concern in his voice, but would just ask, so when are you and dad going to die? And then for Tiago, um, since we've been in the, the, the coronavirus pandemic, um, as a family, we have been praying for those who are sick and praying for families who have lost loved ones. And so death is something that has been around in the news. And so Tiago has come up to us frequently and will just ask, so when am I going to die? When is justice going to die? When are we going to die? And, and my response usually is uh, to say that, that we don't know, but normally it's not until we're really old. Uh, and what we do know is that when we die, we're going to be with Jesus wherever he is. And one day he promises that he is going to come back and he is going to give new bodies to everyone who has died. And we are going to live with him forever in the new earth and new heavens that he is creating. For the, the disciples in the passage that we're about to read, um, they similarly had a lot of questions for Jesus about death. Jesus had been talking to them a lot about um, his upcoming departure, his upcoming death. And so they were, they were asking questions. In the end of, of chapter 13, we come across Peter asking Jesus, where are you going? When Jesus tells him that, that he is going to be leaving soon. And again, Peter asks, why can't we go with you? Why can't we go now to be where you are? And then in chapter 14 that we'll be looking at today, we have Thomas asking the question of, how are we supposed to follow after you, Jesus, if we don't even know where you're going? And so the, the, the section of scripture we're gonna read is going to be Jesus's response to his disciples' questions about death. It's, it's a message meant to, to comfort troubled hearts. Uh, for those who are grappling with this, this idea of the, the one they love, their rabbi and teacher, their Lord and Savior, um, about to leave them. And they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when you leave? What does this mean for us? This passage is not so much a passage of scripture that talks about what happens to us when we die, but instead it's what happens to us when Jesus dies? What happens to us when Jesus is gone, when we feel his absence, when we feel the loss of Jesus? What happens to those who are left behind? And I think we will all at some point in our life, probably multiple times in our life, walk through a similar situation, a similar season to what the disciples had to go through. Uh, a season of, of feeling lost and confused, um, sensing God's absence from your life and our circumstances. Um, times when we don't understand what God is up to, where he is, what he's doing, why it feels like he's left and abandoned us. Questions that, that will cause us to think, has my faith in God been misplaced this whole time? Is God at work, but I just can't see him and I don't understand what he's doing? Why is he taking so long to reveal his plan? 
these are all questions that that followers of Jesus have asked over the years and centuries. And so this morning, if you are in a season of doubt and wondering, a season of feeling the absence of Jesus and questioning why it feels like he's abandoned you, questioning where he is in the world and what he is up to, may the words that we're about to read bring you comfort and assurance at Jesus's love for us and the promise of his presence with us. John 14, 1 through 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is speaking to troubled hearts, the troubled hearts of his disciples who are questioning why he's leaving, where he's going, and what's going to happen to them in the meantime. So why are the, why are the disciples so troubled? They're troubled because Jesus has told them that he's about to go. And they're, they're troubled because they're wondering how they're supposed to continue on without Jesus. He hadn't left them a five-year plan. He hadn't given them 10 steps for building the kingdom of God here on earth without Jesus. His teachings to them up until this point had been less than clear and had often left his disciples in confusion and wondering what it was that Jesus meant. Without Jesus directing them, what were they supposed to do? How were they supposed to know where to go, what to say, and what to do? How were they supposed to continue on Jesus's mission without him there to guide, lead, and direct them? They loved Jesus and they were about to lose him. They were about to lose the one that was like a parent to them. They had already said earlier in the book of John, where are we supposed to go apart from you? There's no one else who has the words of eternal life. Here are people who had given their all for Jesus 
and he was telling them that he was about to go. And so they were crushed, they were confused, and Jesus knew he needed to reassure them. He needed to comfort them and he needed to give them words uh, to guide and direct them before he left. So what was Jesus' response to the troubled hearts of his disciples? His, his first response to them is to invite them to trust. Invite them to trust in him. That he was about to go, but trust in him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was calling his disciples to trust in him, to believe in him, and he was simultaneously reinforcing for them um, the identity of Jesus, of who he was, the reality that he and the Father are one, and because of that, that they can place all of their faith and all of their trust in Jesus because he is the one who has been faithful to them and their people throughout the ages. Jesus invites them to trust in the Father and to trust also in him. They weren't supposed to trust their emotions or the circumstances that were about to come because coming down the road was going to be some horrendous circumstances where the followers of Jesus are going to be scattered as Jesus is arrested, as he goes to trial and is crucified. They are going to be left in the worst of circumstances, feeling the weight of all kinds of emotions. And Jesus' instruction to them is to trust, to have faith, to believe in him. We are not meant to place our trust in anything else but Jesus. We aren't supposed to trust in the circumstances around us. We aren't supposed to trust in our feelings and emotions. We aren't supposed to trust in any leaders of this world. We aren't supposed to trust in any nation and its power or military. We aren't meant to trust in our finances or in an economy. We are meant to trust in Jesus. The disciples were about to see horrible circumstances. They were going to feel fear, despair, doubt, confusion, shame at their reaction to what is about to happen to Jesus. And through it all, they needed to keep their eyes on Jesus. And so Jesus gives this word before they get into the dark hour, this word to keep their eyes on him. It's like the, the words of the song, Only King Forever, a song that we sing together as a community. Words that say, our God and firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. Nations rise and fall. Everything around us can be in upheaval, but we can be grounded. We can have our feet firmly planted on solid ground. So where is our hope anchored? Is our hope anchored in circumstances, in people, in, in finances, in power? Or is our faith anchored in Jesus Christ? The anchor that will hold us through any of life's storms. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. So what circumstances today are you walking through that, that, that you need to remember those words of Jesus? Remember to, to not let our hearts be troubled, but to put our hope, our trust, our faith in Jesus. If you're watching live with us, um, you could even share those circumstances in the chat 
thread. Where do you feel like Jesus is inviting you to hear those words, to trust in God, trust also in me? So after Jesus' invitation to his disciples to trust in him, he also takes the time in verses 2 through 14 to reframe the, the situation, to reframe for them what they are about to see and about to experience. He wants to give them a new perspective. Jesus knew that his followers were at risk of experiencing his death and his return to the Father as, as abandonment, as Jesus leaving them and forsaking them, as a loss of his presence. But Jesus takes this time to reframe the circumstance for his friends, um, to let them know that it's not going to be as disastrous as they think, um, but but even paradoxically, it's going to actually be for their benefit that he is about to leave and go be with the Father. He reframes his leaving in terms of his promised ongoing presence with his disciples. And so first we see in verses two to three that his leaving is necessary. Jesus reframes his leaving to say, it's necessary, I need to go. I need to go to the Father so that he can make a way, so that he can make a way for his followers to come be with him where he is. He promises that he will prepare a place for his followers to be with him. I used to think when I read this verse um, as a kid that Jesus was needing to go prepare heaven, like a, like a construction worker, like a builder, needing to go um, build more rooms into his father's house so that there'd be room for all that he was going to invite. Um, and that though, therefore the reason that Jesus hadn't come back yet to bring us to be with him is because he's still working. You know, he's still working building more rooms. Really, I mean, construction tends to have a lot of deadline extensions throughout. But Jesus wasn't leaving because he needed to go build a destination for us. Jesus was leaving because he was going to make a way for us to be with him. The reality was that he was preparing a way for us through his death and his resurrection. He prepared a way for us by entering into death, by going before us and defeating death and bringing about eternal life. And so now those who are gonna follow after him into death are now going to have a way for eternal life and a way to be with Jesus and to be with the Father. And so in some sense, the, the delay in Jesus coming, the delay in Jesus coming back to bring his followers to be with him isn't because he needs to build more space, um, but it is because he longs for all people to be with him. And so we read in Second uh, Peter 3, 9, that it's not because um, that he needs to make the destination longer, but because he is patient not wanting anyone to perish. That's why Jesus seems to be slow in keeping his promise. And so it's not so much about the location that Jesus talks about. It's not so much about 
um, where we're going to be as it is the fact that we are going to be dwelling with Jesus and with the Father. He is making a way for us to be with him. Jesus is home for us. Wherever he is, is home. If you've ever heard the, the old song, it feels like home to me. Um, the lyrics talk about the fact that we can feel at home with a person, that wherever that person is, is home for us. And that's what we experience in Jesus, that Jesus is our home. That as he goes to be with the Father and makes a way for us to be with them both, that that is where our hearts long to be. And so Jesus reframes the situation um, by saying that, that he is going to prepare a way for us to be with him. And in verse 3, he is going, but he will return. He's going, but he will return. Jesus's um, future absence from the disciples wasn't going to be the end, and it wasn't going to be the full reality. He would return um, even just a few days after his death to his disciples. They would see him again. Uh, at the same time, he promised that he would send his spirit to come and to be with them, and we'll explore that more next week. Jesus also promised that we would be with him, that, that when we die, we will be present with Jesus. And here in this passage, Jesus is stressing the fact that he will come again. That, that though it seems like he's leaving, though it seems like his presence is being taken from his followers, Jesus is stressing the fact that, no, you, you will be with me and I'm coming back for you. He was going to be coming back. He will be coming back to bring about resurrection and the recreation of the world. Because what God did in Jesus after his death, what God did in Jesus in resurrecting him is what God plans to do through Jesus in the world. That, that for each one of us, we will experience the resurrection and the new life that Jesus brings. Most religions have a hope of life after death, um, but not all religions have the hope of an actual resurrection, of a God who is going to bring about new life, new bodies for all his people to live in a new earth. It's the wild, outlandish, and beautiful, crazy thing that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that what God was doing in Jesus, he is going to fully do for all of creation. And then in verses 4 through 11, Jesus reframes his upcoming absence, his upcoming death, um, by, by saying that he has given his followers a way to come after him, to follow after him. He has given them the way. And so we, we hear Thomas ask the question of, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how in the world would we know the way to get to you? And so Jesus stresses that he is going to be reunited with the Father and that we already know the way to get to both of them. 
the reiteration of Jesus here of his unique relationship with the Father, that they are one, they dwell together, they abide together, that they are one. And that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we hear Jesus, we hear the words of the Father. When we have seen the works of Jesus, we see the works and the glory of the Father. And even now, the reality is that we are present with Jesus. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Just as Jesus would be present with the Father, he is creating a way for us even now before death to be present with them both. And so Jesus says that, that we already know the way because he is the way, is the truth, and he is the life. This claim isn't a claim that's meant for exclusivity. It's not a claim that's meant to prove that followers of Jesus are superior um, or to prove others wrong. It's not a claim to try to keep others away from the Father, but instead we believe that this is a, an invitation for all to find the way, the truth, and the life. That there is no other way to be with God because Jesus himself is the way that has been given for us. If we want to know the Father, we can because he's revealed himself in Jesus. God wants to be found. He wants for us to know him and for the world to know him. And that's why he was at work in Jesus, bringing about his mission on the earth. And so in Jesus, we find the Father. And apart from this revelation, there was no way for us to know God because this is how God has expressed himself to the world. And so again, it's not ex exclusivity to keep people out. It's just the reality that if we want to know God, the one way he has revealed himself is through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, who is life itself. And so if we want to experience truth, we want to experience life, this only happens as we walk on the path of Jesus, as we follow in his way. We can't find these things apart from him. And then in verses 12 through, through 14, Jesus again reframes the situation for his followers by promising that he's going to be present in the world and he's going to be present in the world through them. He's going to be present through their work and through their prayers, through our work and through our prayers. Jesus speaks of believing in him because of his works, because of the works he has done, um, the signs that he had done throughout his life to point to the truth of who he was. And he then says that his followers are going to be doing even greater works than the things he has done. Jesus' Jesus's work when he was on earth, they were the, the works of, of teaching, of speaking truth, of loving, selfless actions. It was signs and miracles, all pointing people to himself as the one who was sent by the Father. And the reason Jesus could say that his followers are going to be doing even greater works than his works is because we're going to be doing them on the other side of the cross. 
that in Jesus's life, he was pointing people to the reality that he was the one sent by God. But after the cross, we now are able to point people to Jesus by showing that he is the one who was enthroned as king, who was lifted up and glorified in his death, the one who overcame death through his resurrection. And so the the works that we do now in this life, the works of selfless love, the the works of speaking truth, the works of, of justice and righteousness, the work of bringing about peace, the work of caring for the poor and the vulnerable, the, the works of miracles and signs and wonders are all now going to be pointing people to the, the reality of Jesus enthroned as king over the earth. That the signs we are going to be doing in this world are going to be pointing people to Jesus. And Jesus says that Whatever his followers ask in his name, this he will do for the glory of the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus not only talks about the the works that we will do and that he'll be present in the world through the works that we do, but he's going to be present and working in the world through our very prayers. He says that, that whatever we ask in his name, This isn't um, name dropping, right? In our world, when we think of using someone's name and name dropping, um, mentioning someone powerful or famous, it's usually done for the benefit of the one who's dropping the name, right? The one who's using the name because you want to be able to gain access to something that otherwise you wouldn't have. But this is not how the, the disciples of Jesus would have heard um, this, this phrase of using Jesus' name, of asking in his name. Instead, they would have been thinking of um, a person being sent in someone's name to do his business, to do his bidding, and to use that person's name not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the one whose business we are about. And so when we are doing the work of Jesus on this earth, when we're asking for things in his name, it's because we're asking for his will to be done on earth as in heaven. It's because we are desiring for his purposes to happen. It's because we long for his will to be unveiled to the world around us. And so we're not asking for things for our own sake, but we're asking in line with Jesus's will and for the benefit of his business, for the benefit of his kingdom. And he will respond to these prayers so that our work, the things that we put our hands to, that our lives would be used to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son so that Jesus would be revealed to the world around us. So Jesus promises that though he is leaving, he is going to be present in the world through the work of his followers. So Jesus' message to troubled hearts, he reassures them by saying, I'm going, but trust in me. I'm going, but I am going to be preparing a way for you to be with me. I'm going, but I will return for you. 
I'm going, but you know the way to the Father because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going, but I am going to be present in the world through my followers, through working in your lives. It's a message for troubled hearts, an invitation to trust no matter what the circumstances around us might be, and a promise to hold on to that despite what life might look like or feel like, Jesus is with us, that he is working through his people, and that he is coming to make all things new.